Welcome to PE Talks Africa, the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association's podcast. In this series, industry leaders will share their views on the asset class in the continent and discuss latest trends covering fundraising, deal-making, value creation and exits across private equity, credit and venture capital. In this first episode, we hear from Marvin Kigaru, co-founder and managing partner at Mississi Capital Partners, Samia Tanami, head of credit origination at African Invest, and Nigala Chupi, partner at Ethos Private Equity on private credit and its potential to meet the unique funding needs of African businesses. The session recorded at the 16th Annual Africa Conference in Nairobi in April 2019 is moderated by Bill Pierce, Managing Director, Investment Funds at the Overseas Private Investment Corporation. Um, first, I want to introduce myself and the panel. Um, as our announcer mentioned, I'm Bill Pierce uh, with investment funds with the private equity department of the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, OPIC, and so we're the, the United States uh, DFI. Um, I'll start from far right, uh, Marvin Giagu, who's co-founder and managing partner of Mizizi Capital Partners, then Samya Thani, uh, the head of credit of Afroinvest. Did I say that incorrectly? Sorry. Um, and uh, Angala Chupi, who's partner of Ethos Private Equity and running the Mezzanine Finance Fund. Uh, I will let each one introduce themselves to explain more about their company, uh, what they're doing. Marvin, would you like to start? Yep. Um, so Mizizi is an independent financial advisory and alternative asset firm uh, that is primarily focused on merchant banking, which is tying, investing, and providing long-term capital, uh, as well as strategic advice to family-owned businesses and entrepreneur-led companies. Samia? Okay, thank you. SFC is part of uh, Africa Invest Group. It's uh, the, ve- the private credit vehicle of Africa Invest. It was created by uh, FinFund FMO, uh, Microvest and financed by OPEC uh, with the purpose of providing SMEs with the proper financing solutions. So Ethos is a multi-product alternative asset manager with its origins in South Africa. Traditionally we've been um, a growth fund investor uh, focusing mostly on large buyouts but over time we've migrated to become one that offers various products. So the first product is whatever the original product was, that is the large buyer fund. We went and raised a mid-market fund, which is uh, kind of covering a section of the marketplace that uh, we had migrated from on a a deal spectrum uh, perspective. Um, And now we've come up with a new product, which brings me to this particular panel, which is a mezzanine product. We'll tell you a little more about that one. We also have an AI fund, which is an artificial intelligence fund. Uh, And finally, we have now a healthcare platform that uh, we use to make our uh, investments into the healthcare uh, sector. Thank you. And I'll do a quick um, discussion of OPIC. I know my one of my colleagues earlier this morning was on a panel, and probably you heard this already. But as a USDFI, we uh, provide 
capital, primarily, you know, the largest chunk is the project finance deals and SME finance and, and large structured deals, uh, and also political risk insurance, which actually how OPIC started years ago, and there's my department, which we provide, you know, capital to uh, private equity funds, as well as credit funds, real estate funds, et cetera. Um, you know, we, and also, do we, you might have read, there's going to be a big change happening with OPIC going forward. You know, we are going to be a new entity called the U.S. Development Finance Corporation, or DFC, October 1. So we'll be have uh, many more credit tools, investment tools in our, in our toolkit, uh, and we have much more expansive in what we can do going forward. Uh, it's a very positive and exciting time for us, uh, and giving us tools like um, not only debt, but also equity authority as well. So that's a quick intro for me. I want to start off, maybe frame the discussion, Marvin. Perhaps I can, you know, help us understand since you are advising to a number of clients, both in East and West Africa. So, the, you know, discuss the different, the main types of instruments that you see that businesses are using in Africa at this point, uh, and maybe you know the challenges and the pros and cons of each, more in the African context and supply and demand. That'd be very helpful just to frame the discussion. Absolutely. Um, so private credit is uh, really encompasses uh, a diverse array of strategies, uh, all the way from uh, senior lending to venture debt, distressed, special situations, uh, mezzanine. But primarily on the continent, you have two main flavors of private debt, which is um, senior direct lending that um, Samia and SFC do, and uh, mezzanine that um, Ethos, uh, uh, led by Ngala, do. Um, but you know, as as you sort of think about the strategies, it's primarily either focused on capital preservation, which is high up on the senior uh, on the capital stock, uh, and return maximization as you go down the capital stock. And how do you see, I guess, since you have the clients, how do you see sort of um, the markets developing going forward and the supply and demand? I mean, we know there's a gap that we all understand. But you know, what do you think is you know, if you look at the crystal ball, if you want to, what are the trends you're seeing in, in, in this asset class? You know, I, speaking particularly about, you know, the trends we've seen, at least in Kenya over the last, um, call it two years, with the interest rate cap, we're seeing banks really pulling back from lending to mid-market uh, companies. Uh, and then as well, you, you know, you have the Basel three, IFRS 9, and all these regulations that are really compelling banks to cut down on lending to mid-market companies. And that's really the space that we believe that um, private credit will step into the, into the shoes and lend to these companies. But you have to, you know, in, in context, we believe that both banks and private credit uh, providers can actually coexist very well well, because the supply, or rather the demand for credit is, is massive. We have a massive supply gap. I mean, last estimates IFC was talking about anywhere, you know, call it $350 billion. So we believe that both banks and uh, private credit providers should be able to coexist and even participate in transactions together in Poland. Great. Um, Nangala, I'll turn it over to you. Now we've made the framework. Please help us understand, you know, why Mez Finance? You know, what are the businesses attracted to it, um, and how you see the market develop as you started to, you know, the reasons why you raised your fund. Right. <clears throat> if you really look at the uh, typical capital structure, most investors, as they start up their businesses, they will start with their uncle's money and move on over time to be able to get money from the banks. And the reason why you move from, you, you start with your uncle, it's the cheapest money. 
you, you might not even have to pay it back and you'll still be your uncle. And then you move to the banks because also in, um, in, in, in the financial markets, the banks are still the cheapest form of capital. And if you can get cheap you know, financing, you will go and get it. And the reason why banks are cheaper because they have uh, cheaper sources of capital. They take our money as deposit, pay us close to nothing, and lend us to lend us a little with, with a little more to, to the interest rate that they pay. Then, you, once you've exhausted the bank, you start thinking about equity partners, and that's why the you know booming you know private equity in industry came through, and a lot of money was raised to provide equity capital, which. It's almost on the other side of the bookend, taking full risk alongside the investors. But as families grow, one of the challenges they face, and this is a real problem that we face in this market, is in the first instance, they don't want to, in some of them, they don't want to give up equity. So to them, this equity was given to me by my, you know, my dad and mom and whoever, and I would like to keep it in the family. So the dilution issue is a really critical issue. And to actually mitigate that, what they would do when they're talking to equity providers is show you hockey stick-like uh, projections so that you can pay a high price, which is, uh, if you do, you will see you know, the culprit is poor returns for the equity investors. And also, equity investors come along and say, by the way, in five years' time, uh, or seven years time, I need to get out. And for me to get out and get a good return, you have to come along with me. So this drug to exit is another kind of thorn around their neck that some of them don't want to do. So we saw that gap and realized if we come up with a, 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 a funding that sits in the middle where there is no dilution or very minimal dilution, it is self-liquidating, meaning that in five to seven years, you have paid us off. It has some debt-like features because you're capping your, your returns. And we target mid-term returns. So if you think senior lending is at 10% as an example, uh, equity returns is 20 and above, we are straight in the middle in the mid-teens. It looks attractive, and it should be attractive, because then it starts to address these two key issues. I think the challenge now is to educate people around it. So are you debt or are you equity? And you have to be able to say, I am flexible. I behave like one in the, in the, for the reason why you cut my return, but I'm very flexible because I am like an equity player because I bring more than just capital which is the attraction that you would have. So you would have a partner who would be with you in the business, uh, not necessarily asking for the equity-like features of, of what a shareholder's agreement should have, but is interested because it's lending against cash flows, knowing there is possibly a senior lender in the capital structure, and they have the first right to the security pool. And uh, you know they they're not gone and just come and wait for the interest to, to come through. Now, having said that, though, uh, I think where some of the challenges are is that you have to convince them that this mid-teen return is something that they should be comfortable with. 
And has it been difficult for you to um, find businesses who will meet your parameters and, uh, and I don't know how long your fund has been around, but how easy is it to find the right people to invest in? Right. So the beauty is that including our private equity partners, so we can partner with them when they're doing acquisition, and if they can't raise enough senior debt, they can come to us and get a top up, so you have that kind of, of clientele. But also, you can go all the way down to uh, family businesses that are looking for between five to $25 million in this market to expand. Uh, build factories or expand factories, have you know, uh, you know, a repayment profile that matches the cash flows. The deals are there. I think the challenge, which is possibly the challenge on the private equity side, is that these deals are typically not backed well enough to be able to say, I can easily do this. We do go through the same rigorous processes as a private equity investor. We will do our financial, commercial, legal, ESG due diligences and stuff, and that then kind of takes time. And some of uh, the smaller you know, players will have some challenges around that, and I think Samia will talk to that. Thank you very much. Um, Samia, so now you're, you're higher on the credit stack, um, and uh, you're also working with probably smaller businesses than, uh, than um, Ndala and his company work in. As I understand, you go SMEs by the IFC definition, Absolutely. which we know is pretty small. Help us understand, you know, how, what are the challenges you see and how you structure and how you are flexible with your clients, even though they're, they're much smaller businesses. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, I mean, uh, as you said, I mean, we are in the senior secured uh, space looking at SMEs and who are the other players in that space is mainly the banks. Uh, anything I will say about banks is not to be negative, but just to compare what we are offering uh, compared to the banks. And um, I feel very at ease to mention that because I used to be a banker and I want, don't want to see anything bad uh, about my ex-colleagues. So uh, the important thing is that we try to offer solutions that banks cannot offer. So we will look at companies that are bankable, which means that they are profitable, that they have balanced uh, structure, uh, that have nice growth perspective, that can provide us securities as well because we are in the senior secured space. However, the companies that will come to us are the companies that cannot find the right structure with the banks, which means more uh, a standard structure. So what we offer is tailor-made solutions to assist and to help this company to grow. And this is the most important thing. So we are very flexible on the tenor. We can go up to seven, eight years if needed. As per project needs, of course, uh, we, we can give a grace period as per the project need. We can, I mean, adapt the schedule of payment uh, to take into account the ramp up of, uh, of the project itself. Uh, even for the interest, we can make pay some cash coupon and some paid in kind. So we have all this flexibility that we can offer them. And this is the most important thing that make SFC offering an, uh, a value addition to these companies. But uh, that's not only what we are offering, and especially in the SME space, what we need to keep in mind is that the entrepreneur usually is uh, very lonely. 
it's very difficult. Usually, he knows how to produce. He knows, or she, of course, <laughs> knows how uh, to sell. Uh, doing things by instinct, but is not very well organized. So uh, they would need the financing, but they need something else. So for example, help to create a business plan. I mean, uh, they, are, they don't have the skills to do it uh, all the time. Sometimes they have it and it's fantastic and it's much easier for us. Uh, they are not aware about the uh, environmental and social standards all the time, so they need some guidance to that. They don't have uh, a proper uh, corporate governance. Uh, sometimes even, the, uh, even their board meetings are in the kitchen between wife and husband or two brothers or two friends. So it's the case. I mean, so even when we ask them about the board meeting minutes, they don't have them. So we have to, to help them, train them, assist them to do that. It's very important for us, although it's in an, a small investment, we don't do it exactly like the private equity. We don't have the returns for the private equity. But, but by being so close to the, to the entrepreneur, it helps us to uh, assure that we will be paid back. So that we have the, the right information. Uh, for that, we help them to, to, to find an ERP so that they, they can manage really their company and not uh, uh, subir. Sorry, I, find, I didn't find the... Well, it sounds like you have to sort of, you know, be hand, hold their hands for exactly, a while. Exactly, exactly. given the fact you also have a number of DFIs in your fund supporting you, are they helpful on, because we know they're very strong on enforcing ESG standards, have they been helpful at the, at the company level uh, in your loans to them uh, to some degree, or is it, how, how is that enforced? Uh, or is it? No, it, not, not really. I mean, okay. we wish, for example, to have more, uh, more assistance, uh, like, for example, technical assistance to help our companies to grow and to, to accelerate, actually, certain steps. Uh, so that we would be, of course, very happy to, to see that, uh, especially in certain rural areas. I mean, the SMEs are full of impact. Yeah. Whatever the SME you look at, it's full of impact just for employment, right. uh, for having more women, for going more uh, in the rural area, etc. So, yeah, we wish to have more of uh, help from the GFIs. Um, Marvin, I just want to ask a question before I, I ask myself a, a question, which I'll post you all. How do you see the risk expectations between you know, people you deal with, on the, um, uh, mostly as LPs or investors, between the different asset classes? I mean, do they find one more attractive than the other, or is it, how, how does it work? I mean, this is leading up to a question I'm going to ask yeah. later. So. I think it's primarily you, you have to bridge the gap between real and perceived risk. Uh, because there's obviously that perceived risk that corporates on the continent are high risk and you know, a lot of the risk profiles of the company is actually benchmarked based on sovereign um, ratings, which in most cases actually not reflective of the underlying credits of the companies are actually better credits than, than the sovereigns. So bridging that gap is always very important because we believe that private debt, especially on the continent, provides very compelling uh, risk-adjusted returns, both on an absolute and relative basis. And what do I mean by that? The coupons that you get on private debt on the continent are much higher than the coupons you would get in developed markets in Europe, uh, in the US. But on a relative basis, you actually get stronger security packages. So, you know, in the US and Europe right now, you have um, Covlite loans that are in vogue. 
in the continent, at least on the transactions that I've worked on with some of my peers here, the covenant packages are very robust. And then leverage levels are very low, almost a third of the leverage levels that you will see uh, in, uh, in developed markets. So I think really helping investors to understand that dynamic can help them get across the finish line and, and, and look favorably on private debt on the continent. Okay, one last question before I have a Q&A, um, since I'm the effective LP on the panel. Um, I, we've looked at private credit in Africa for a long time, and I've seen a number of funds, and it's been very difficult. You have been two success stories here in raising capital uh, in private credit, and I'm trying to understand what does it take to get more investors in this asset class. I'm also thinking, you know, as a... Um, uh, for U.S. investors, since you know we try to catalyze U.S. capital to some degree, uh, I want to understand what it would it take for them to be say, "Hey, I want to do an, I want to go into private credit. I want to go with you guys." What what is sort of the secret sauce there? Because it's a tough market. Right. So here's the pitch: you get a contracted return on a 10% coupon in U.S. dollars, right? And then we have a contracted return in US dollars about two and a half. That's rolled up to give you know, room for the company to uh, have flexibility. And then we extract the balance of the return through a possible equity kicker or a synthetic. Now, look at that and say, against the companies that we would look for and invest strategies around export-oriented companies where some of the sales are 60 to 70% uh, dollar denominated, right? So the customer has the dollars to be able to pay back. I think, and you're looking to put together a portfolio of 10 to 12 companies, I think on a risk return basis, it's possibly more attractive than your you know, your, your, your equity kind of returns where you're targeting 25 and above, but assuming, you know, all the risk. So that's the pitch. And in um, an investor who is looking, looking to allocate into the different uh, uh, parts of the private equity kind of asset class, I think there is room there for MES and senior credit. So I mean, what, what has been your, what has helped you? Uh, I think, I mean, our pitch would be more on impact, uh, lower uh, risk, uh, of obviously than, uh, than, than mezzanine, uh, but I think appropriate risk return uh, couple that we are managing to, to, to find good transactions with, uh, with good returns and with uh, quite balanced uh, risk. Thank you. I'm cautious of time, and I wanted to uh, have the audience here start, you know, up and asking the questions. I would like the audience to, if you have any questions, to so please give us um, what is really you want to know more from our panelists. So I have a question. Um, oh, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, uh, when you're dealing with mares, do you take security? Yes, so MES will take um, full security if there is no senior lender. So in that instance, it's senior secured. If there's a, a, a senior lender, um, it could be either subordinate to the senior lender. Uh, so take a second charge on that. 
Uh, in some instances, you look for some paripasu, uh, if you can get that arrangement and stuff. Yes, so you are dead-like in that regard. So you do have security packages, and you, you perfect the security. Um, and that's why you do ask for capital returns, right? It's the consequence of that as well. Okay, thank you. But uh, the type of security that you're taking is this uh, the same as just mortgage charges, secondly, and the it's it's a, yeah, it's all it's a similar to what the bank would do. I think where there is a little bit of a leeway, and this is where sometimes it's a value proposition. Uh, you know, the banks will ask for your personal guarantees, your mother-in-law, if you can throw her in there. Um, <laughs> We, we, we are a little lenient when it comes to those kind of things, yeah. Are there others out there of questions? <clears throat> Over here. Thank you. Um, contractual returns are only as good as the ability to enforce. And as you look across the continent, how are you dealing with weaker sort of jurisdictions in terms of the legal systems, the time period it takes to actually enforce on your collateral, because that is essentially the argument you're making. Um, how, do you, how do you go about that? Well, let me start with Michelle Kamp, because I think she, it's, it's more of an argument for her. Mm. I, w I, w I want to s start by saying I am a cash flow lender. In the first instance, I evaluate whether the cash flows of the business will be there to pay me back. Secondly, we also allow us a provision in, this, in the security package where I can step in. I have step-in rights where suddenly, if it is be, the company is gone um, from a strategy standpoint of peace, then we can bring in people to try to rectify that and still run the business until we get paid back and, and, you know, and then hand back the keys. But in, in certain jurisdictions, including here in East Africa, the banks have been able to actually enforce security and you can talk to many entrepreneurs and even private equity players here, some of whom have lost uh, assets to the bank and the banks can you know, appoint people to come and uh, sell the pieces. But you're quite right, in certain jurisdiction is something that we have to exercise our mind very carefully. Yeah, thank you. I, I think I would say the same thing exactly like you, although it's still untested because for us, the most important is the cash flow. Is not our first way out is never ever the the collateral itself. And I've seen other situations where companies were in default because banks provided them with loans which were not adapted to the cash flow of the companies, but because the asset had nice value, they provided them with that amount of debt. So we, we never fall in that trick and we, we, uh, we, uh, we finance, uh, we, we count on the cash flow of the company to reimburse our loan. But uh, of course there are weaker jurisdiction and we hope that we will never uh, have to, <laughs> to, to sell collateral in these ones. 
I can just, um, I can add to that. Um, I, actually, what you're seeing now within the continent is a lot of countries are starting to pass bankruptcy insolvency laws. Uh, Kenya did that recently. I, th I believe Ghana is doing that. So as we start to have mature credit markets, the laws are being put in place and, um, and uh, entities like the World Bank are actually pushing for these uh, laws to be passed within the continent. So that's going to be helpful for the, for the industry and the asset class going forward. Thank you very much. I see our time is up, and I just want to thank my panelists for giving us a great presentation on the audience for being very good listeners and participants. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the African Private Equity and Venture Capital Association, please visit avca-africa.org.